Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, March 6th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Springtime, Graham. Really? It's March. It's springtime. <laughs> All right, so that means there's actually sunshine up there? <laughs> well, we've seen a few wildflowers pop through. That's the main thing. Ah, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I also noticed, not to get too personal, but I noticed you've been watching a piece of cliff, right? That's like on the kind of, there's a cliff near you that you think is going to tumble into the sea at some point, right? I keep seeing photos that you put up. It, 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 it's a local cliffhanger. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's what everyone's waiting to find out. Hopefully no one's under this cliff when it tumbles no. into the sea. No. Um, cool. All right, well, what's the latest in the MBA universe this week? Yeah, I mean, folks are still interviewing for round two. Um, and I would still say there'll be a few interview invites trickling out for some of the schools that tend to really um, <laughs> wait until the last minute to trickle out their, 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 their final um, interview invite. So, you know, that might be the likes of Anderson, yeah. might be the likes of um, um, Stanford, Yale, Cornell, yep. or whatever it is, um, not to speculate, but there might be a few interview invites left. Most schools have wrapped up the interview invite process. All the big schools that launch interview invites on a specific date that's all done now sloan was the last program to do that we are now turning to what we call internally decision weeks so this yes. upcoming week tepper fuqua few qualify for fuqua <laughs> and um, oxford side all have um, um decision release deadlines for for round two and stage three in terms of oxford side so we're starting to see the, the shift now, and this week it begins with some, some decision releases, and then the next couple of weeks, where all the top schools will be releasing decisions. Wow, yeah, so that's that's come faster than I expected. It feels like we were just in the uh, kind of application deadlines period for round two. So yeah. uh, over on the website, we've done a couple of different things. We ran a post about background checks. And this is one of those things where I think not all candidates know going in, but there are a handful of schools that once you're offered a, a place in the class, you have to subject yourself to a background check where they'll verify things like your transcripts, GPA, um, probably check in with your recommenders, make sure that they verify everything that they've stated. And in many cases, we'll use a kind of professional background checking service to verify dates of employment. Uh, things like salary, you know, whatever they can get their hands on from your HR department. So we have a tip uh, on the website about how to handle that process and what to expect. And yeah, it's, it's something that I think people don't know too much about going into this process and something they should. So so that's yeah. there. I, I hate to say it, but we invented this process when I was at Warren. I know. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's, it's not, it's funny because not all programs do it, but I mean, in all cases, I think any program's allowed to rescind an offer if they do uncover cover something that's not truthful in your file. So you always want to be telling the truth. We also did an article, uh, a kind of another careers piece where we talked about does MBA now stand for McKinsey, Bain or BCG and Amazon? And the reason that the article is sort of titled that is because we're noting that a lot of these programs are sending a high percentage of their graduates to those four firms alone, right? So MBB plus Amazon. In some cases, it's like over 30% of a class uh, at a place like I think Kellogg and, and some other programs that are heading off 
to those companies alone. Now that may shift over time, but it's a trend that's been kind of growing. And so there's an interesting piece on our website about that. And, you know, it's that kind of, uh, it calls upon the idea of diversification that is often taught in kind of finance classes and investment classes in business school. And our, our school's kind of too invested in a few uh, stocks, so to speak, here with kind of MBB and Amazon. But it was fun to to see, and Elliot on our team put that together. And yeah, I, I got to try to find out what the careers community at these business schools think about that article in particular. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because those are some of the very elite firms that hire sure. MBAs. So schools want to increase access and opportunity at these firms, no doubt. And like you say, we have seen an increasing trend towards these firms. If I'm a gambling person, Graham, I say that trend reverses itself naturally with all these recent um, um, layoffs in the tech sector. We're also seeing it a little bit in the consulting sector and in the banking sector. Yeah. So yeah, the the next season it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think that's fair and what we yeah, we'll see. I find that when these firms pull back, you know, the career offices just diversify yeah. in terms of where they're trying to put people. So another thing I'm really excited about is that the series that we run where we talk to recent MBA graduates. So that could be anywhere from, you know, a year to several years out of business school. Uh, we call that Real Humans Alumni. That series is back and we just ran the first couple of um uh, entries in that series. And, and so one is we connected with a woman named Mira who graduated Chicago Booth back in 2020. She's now at Microsoft doing, uh, she's a business strategy consultant there. And she's originally from Portsmouth, Virginia, went to NC State and majored in econ and stats before then, you know, working for a bit and going off to Booth. But I wanted to read, um, we always ask these people, you know, for kind of you know, just insights into like the job search or or even just general advice that they have for people kind of who are just embarking on the application process or on the beginning of kind of their their business school journey. And she gave a really wonderful quote. So I just wanted to share that quickly. Um, And here it goes. She said, there is a natural tendency among high achieving students to create completely arbitrary benchmarks relative to your peers. Take advantage of the chance to break away from that mentality and step out of your comfort zone. You are making a deliberate decision to invest in yourself, so resist the temptation to compare yourself to others and focus on how you will achieve your own personal and professional goals. Also, remember to be kind to yourself. Things will never go exactly as you plan, so learn to live in the moment and lean into your network for support. You're all in this together, and there's no one who will empathize more than your classmates. Um, so I thought that was almost like she could give the you know the graduation speech at one of these <laughs> at Chicago booth next time. But I thought that was a nice quote from her. I, I, I wonder if she she went to um, Bing AI and and inputted in what would be a good quote for real I don't humans know. alumni. Good point. And and came up with something like yeah. that. Absolutely fantastic though. Really really good. Yeah, she works at Microsoft. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Um, so there's so that's the first one. Then the second one we ran is this woman named Harriet. She's a London Business School grad, and I think she graduated within the last year, actually, and she is an entrepreneur. Um, she runs a company called Restyle, um, and I'll give the URL. It's re-style.co.uk, and it's basically a, an online platform that helps uh, connect 
um, people with tailors. And in particular, it's kind of catering to sort of the wedding crowd. So if you're having your wedding dress made and then you need to connect um, to sort of tailor a set of bridesmaids dresses or whatever, she's got this whole platform that she set up that seems to be going quite well. And she had studied ancient history at UCL in London. She's originally from London and had worked for eight years in luxury goods and retail. So probably knows quite a bit about <laughs> this space. And now she's running this, what she calls a fash tech startup. I had not heard that term, but now we know fashion tech, fashion tech startups. Um, and yeah, so she, and I, you know, again, she also, we have these great quotes. And so I wanted to share something that she said, which was, she said, LBS encourages part-time internships during term time. So I use this to experience working with tech startups of all different stages, from ideation stage to my summer internship at a scale-up. This gave me lots of hands-on experience of the reality of working at a startup, and I caught the bug. I also used internships to gain some VC experience, which gave me insight into the other big challenge of startups, which is fundraising. So anyway, just interesting how you know she really used her time at LBS to kind of um, incubate and or, or you know to kind of educate herself as she then set out to start her own company. So very cool stuff. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And not to not to focus on the same theme, Graham, but I assume she, that her her platform is using AI <laughs> in terms of how it how it works. I haven't seen it, but I got to, got to imagine it does. So. Yeah. Um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So uh, anyway, more of those will be coming. We typically run, I want to say like more than 40 of those pieces a year where we connect with people working or doing things that, you know, we think are of interest to our listeners and to our site readers and and from all the schools that everyone's targeting. So stay tuned. There'll be many more of those profiles to come. Uh, I did sit down, uh, we'll have a podcast upcoming in in probably in a week or two. I sat down with the director of admissions at IE Business School in Madrid. Uh, She happens to also have worked at HBS, Harvard Business School, in admissions for several years prior to taking this role at IE. So stay tuned for that. It was a really interesting discussion. Uh, And then we did get, Alex, one email from a happy listener that I thought I would share. Um, This person writes, Alex and Graham, huge fan of the podcast. I'm just starting my MBA journey for round one this summer and can't thank you enough for the continued support Clear Admit gives to the community. Uh, they mentioned that they had posted on a Plywire, and you know we had shared our thoughts. And actually, we featured them last week on the show, if memory serves. And they write, keep up the awesome work. You both brighten my day with your banter. Sincerely, B. So I'm not going to give their name in case they want privacy, but what a nice note to receive. Yeah, banter. That's what we got, Graham. <laughs> I guess, Graham. maybe. Banter. I don't know. I love it. Yeah, so uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can always write to Alex and I by writing to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line, wiretaps, and we'll get back to you. So, um, yeah, it was just nice to, to get that listener uh, email. Uh, other than that, Alex, I don't have anything this week, so I'm happy to start talking about the candidates we're going to profile, if, if that's where you want to go. <laughs> Let's kick on. All right, so this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week is an ApplyWire entry, uh, comes from an ApplyWire entry that you picked, Alex. They've got six schools on the target list. The schools are Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Stern, Darden, and Yale. And they want to start business school in the fall of 24. So it's a little bit of an early bird. They're going to be applying this summer and stuff. Um, They've been working in asset management and they want to kind of stay in that domain. I think they're looking to kind of make the move from analyst up to, I think, associate or whatever the next level might be. And, And typically it's a level that requires an MBA. 
So they have companies like BlackRock, Fidelity, uh, First Eagle, Artisan, Prenza, IFP, and Polaris on their target list. They've got a 3.3 GPA, and they have 11 years of work experience. So this is a very unusual candidate in that they're a bit older. They're located in Florida, and they'd love to stay on the East Coast after business school. Uh, as, as you can see from that school list I mentioned, there were no West Coast schools on that list. Um, the thing, and I think the reason you picked this candidate, Alex, is they have a really unusual kind of personal story, um, and it's a it's a pretty um, rough personal story. So I'll kind of give some of the broad brushstrokes and let you fill in. But they are a, a under This is a candidate is an underrepresented minority who had multiple kind of life obstacles, um, even just in terms of obtaining an undergraduate degree. Uh, they had to go to they did a part time university and then or two year and then moved to a four year, um, but they. The things that they were dealing with basically are that um, I guess their their mother was incarcerated um, for drug trafficking while they were in middle and high school, uh, and then they had to work basically um, starting in high school. They had to work part time in order to support themselves, and then they had a kind of uh, a, a girlfriend who claimed that they were pregnant, um, and that this person was the father. Uh, it turned out not to be the case, but they had this whole kind of um, legal process to go through until the the um, mother finally admitted that this person was not the father. So they were dealing with a lot of stuff that basically um, made it challenging for them to get on with their education. But they eventually did transfer to a four-year undergraduate institution that's a top 100 U.S. school, and they did that 3.3 GPA in finance and econ as a double major. Uh, and then they, you know, they actually passed the CFA all three levels, and you know, have been working um, in finance, uh, you know, consistently since. But they're really wondering about this background and the length of experience, and yeah, just what we make of this candidacy. And also, they haven't taken the GMAT yet, and they're kind of wondering what our advice is there in terms of what score they might need. So I'll stop there because that's a lot <laughs> to digest. But what do you make of this, Alex? Yeah, I mean, what a story and what a set of obstacles that this candidate's had to overcome, you know, in terms of their life story. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, from their work experience standpoint and what they're currently doing, um, it looks like they're in a good place and have done very well um, um, quite recently. So the way I would look at it is if, if their work and, and what they're doing, their, their, their growth and, and, and their impact is comparable to... Um, other top candidates applying to for for, for MBA, um, then when you add on to that everything they've had to go through to get to that level, they've come very far. Um, which I think, um, well, I know that that Adcom will respect that. Um, can't have much empathy for it because you know there, there will be very few Adcom that have similar stories in their own backgrounds, obviously, but. But this person has really had had to tackle some some really significant challenges to get through their education, to get on the right track, and but they look like they're doing really well right now, Graham. So, so so there are a couple of things that I think that that could trip them up, um, but but they can really focus on because they're applying next season. I think that's that's the case. Um, that they they're going to be an older candidate. Um, so they're really going to need to show fit um, and, and show that they're going to make the most out of the MBA experience and really engage. Um, and sort of that'll be based off of their own sort of pers you know, personal experiences, what they do now and so on and so forth. Um, 
but really show fit and really show that they understand each of the programs that they're targeting and how they're going to um, uh, make the most of those experiences. I think that that'll be really, really important. Then, as you say, they, they've still got to take the GMAT and, and um, <clears throat> they've got to offset a slightly lower GPA. Um, despite all the circumstances, the reality is the GPA is still is slightly lower. It does have a C in calculus, yeah. um, which, which might stand out, out a little bit. They have, you know, tackled the CFA. That's, I think that does help. But yes, the better the GMAT score, the greater the opportunities. Um, so if they hit the the median of the programs that they're applying with the GMAT, that's going to be absolutely fantastic. If they exceed the median, uh, more the better. If their um, quant score is 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 on the higher side, that will help with the calculus opt offset. Um, the CFA will help a, a little bit too, probably in that regard. They might even look at doing MBA math just to shore up that side of their yeah. their profile. Um, but they will get a lot of respect. Um, for overcoming some significant personal challenges to get to where they are today. But they still need to show that fit. And they still need to do well on the GMAT. Yeah, I, I think um, it does make sense, given the timing, for them to take one of these, you know, MBA math or business fundamentals, one of these things to just shore things up, even though I know they've passed all levels of the um, CFA and stuff, but I still think it would help. Uh, and then, yeah, buckle down and study for and do as well as they can on the GMAT. Because having these kind of solid numbers and, and like you said, demonstrating fit and showing that they're ready by taking some kind of um, you know, course uh, coursework in advance. All that stuff will point to the level of you know maturity and and focus that's that's needed here. And but I I feel like this is a candidate that everyone would be rooting for when they understand the the perseverance and and the circumstances overcome. So you know, and and I I think you you mentioned it, but they do a lot of outside. Um, work with respect to, you know, mentoring at-risk youth. And so there's a real story here where not only have they kind of pulled themselves up, but they're helping to pull others up, you know. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, the only thing that I wondered about with this candidate is, assuming they do everything we just advised, are they aiming like high enough? Like, should they also be looking at the Whartons and Harvards of the world? I know they want to stay East Coast, so I haven't mentioned Stanford, but, you know, should they be looking at some additional top schools? And should they also consider applying not only to some of these via the consortium, but if there are schools that are not in the consortium, should they apply in the first round um, and get this done earlier, assuming they have time to take the GMAT and things over the coming months here and into the summer? But that was my, one of my questions. Yeah, you make a couple of very good points. The one is I didn't mention their extracurriculars and they are outstanding and they do fit with the overall story, right? So they're, they're helping, like you say, at-risk folks because this person clearly was an at-risk person. Um, so, um, so, so that's really, really good. And yeah, are they aiming high enough? They've got Columbia on their list. That's the only M7. So they need to target Columbia as early decision probably yeah. to maximize their, their opportunity, but other M7 probably should be included in the mix. Some will be dependent on that GMAT score, unfortunately. So let's see see where that GMAT score lands, um, and and so forth. But you might well be right. They they they, you know, they they you don't want to target just one M7, right? It, because maybe that one M7 you, you're not the the best fit for. So. 
uh, maybe um, a couple of M7 just to spread the risk at, at that tier perhaps um, including Wharton um, and, and so forth. I know in the past, Graham, you've hearkened on a little bit about Harvard and Stanford being less favorable for sort of folks with longer length of experience. So that might be something for them to consider in that regard. But Wharton, I remember when I was at Wharton, we had a few geriatrics in the program, I think, or at least slightly older candidates. So, so why not? Yeah. Yeah. So I, again, I think you make a really good point, though. Let's see where they land with the test score. Hopefully, they can keep us posted. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for this person. I know you are too, and I want to thank them for sharing this profile. It's really interesting um, for us to discuss and for people tuning in to to hear about, you know, the possibility to overcome these types of things and and still be a really strong candidate. So, yeah, let's see where things land. But hopefully, they'll keep us posted. Um, do you do yeah. you think that it matters at all if they still have a relationship with their mother? Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I would hope that they do. I mean, if, especially if, you know, the, 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 the kind of, um, it, it sounds like the person was in, their mom was incarcerated, but maybe is out now. I don't know. I mean, that, that's a good question, yeah. but knows? yeah, that's a, interesting. Yeah. They, I mean, this person will have no shortage of things to discuss, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, oh, no yeah. doubt. So, yeah. um, yeah, fun. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate their, their sort of real honesty and sort of yeah. really revealing, because at the end of the day, if we're, we're trying to offer a little bit of advice to folks, and if we only have a couple of um, sentences to work off of in, in the notes section, I mean, we can offer general advice, and that's what we do. But the more sort of background insight that we get, obviously, the, 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 the better we can sort of help sort of um, um, share, share our thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, best of luck to that candidate. Um, and thanks again for posting. Let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week also is sourced from an ApplyWire entry received. This person has eight schools on the target list, and the schools are Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago Booth, Wharton, and Darden. So it's the M7 plus Darden. They've been working in social sector consulting, and they want to do consulting post-MBA and, and also maybe some nonprofit um you know, sustainability type stuff as well. Um, their GMAT score is a 770 and their GPA is a 3.77. Now, the one wrinkle with this candidate is that they are currently in a uh, master's program that they went into straight from undergrad, which means they're eligible to apply for deferred enrollment MBA programs. So they're applying now. Uh, the deadlines are, you know, next month or something. And, and then they're going to ideally secure an offer and go off and work for a couple of years and then come back and, and, and get an MBA. Uh, so just wanted to kind of clarify that. They did mention that their undergraduate GPA is actually a 3.45, um, but their graduate GPA is a 3.77. So I, I was a little misled there because the GPA listed was the 3.77, but that's actually the master's GPA that they've earned thus far, I guess, in that program. Uh, they went to undergrad at a top 25 program and they studied econ and psych, and they're also at that same school for this um, master's degree. Uh, they want to work, as I said, in social sector consulting and eventually establish their own practice. They're trying to put together a really strong application. 
um, they feel like they have a lot of time now and motivation, you know, to apply. So, uh, in any event, they're kind of working on this, and, I, and as I said, you know, deadlines are kind of fast approaching, and they're wondering, you know, about what any tips we have or any advice. And you know, I know I have some thoughts, but I was curious to let you kick things off because you had a back and forth with them, Alex, on on the site. But yeah, what do you make of this situation for deferred? And I mean, obviously, some pretty stunning numbers on the GMAT side at seven seventy. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers look great. Obviously, the, the GPA 377s from the Masters, that's one year versus the four-year undergrad, which is um, 345. So um, that undergrad GPA is still going to count. Um, they are underrepresented. They're first generation going to college. So I think they get some, some props for that um, for, for a variety of different reasons, which um, I, d- I don't think we need to go into. But the point is, there's quite a lot to like here. They've also started a couple of businesses, um, so so they have that sort of entrepreneurial strain. Um, so some some of which you know their profile will be dependent on pe- perhaps the sort of success or the impact or lack of impact thereof of those businesses, because that's sort of what they've done in their academics instead of the more prototypical deferred candidates being a leader on campus in clubs and so on and so forth. So. Um, so that's interesting, um, but but a little bit different. Um, so so you know, quite honestly, Graham, I think you know, from 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 the, from the information that we have, I think there's probably quite a lot to like about this candidate. We talked a little bit before we came on air about the idea of deferred candidates. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're taking a punt now as they're graduating to to get a place at a top MBA program in two or three years' time. If they're not successful, um, they can still, after two or three years, um, reapply. And we know from our own sort of experience and data that the reapplicants tend to have a slightly higher admit rate um, and so forth. Um, so what that means is when you're a deferred candidate or, or you're applying as a deferred candidate, you really don't need any safety schools or, or, or you only really want to be applying to the to, to the reach schools and a couple maybe in, in, in the target range. Um, so I bring all this up, they, like, like, like we discussed before, they've got eight schools on the list. That's a lot of schools to target as a deferred candidate. They might just want to shrink that list Agreed. Um, a few schools. Because again, if they're not successful, it's not the end of the end of the road for a candidate like this. Super GMAT, they go off. They're, they're going to MBB. I yes, think. yeah, I forgot to say um, that consulting. Yeah, yeah, straight out of uh, you know thing. So so they're going to add on hopefully some really good um, professional experience on top of um, you know obviously an outstanding GMAT and so forth. So if they continue on a very progressive path, when they if they do have to reapply in two or three you know three three years time or whatever. Um, they're probably going to be a very strong candidate. Yeah, I feel like, you know, what we were saying before we came on the air is that, you know, look, 770, and let's call it a 3.5 undergrad GPA from a decent, you know, top 25 school, uh, going to work at McKinsey, Bain, or BCG, 
And so this is kind of a, a really strong, at least on, on the number side. They're also, as you said, URM. Uh, you know, they, they've done a lot of interesting things. So I feel like you know, cast a, a fairly tight net um, when it comes to you know, just go after the best programs that they would really want to attend, and then leave it at that. Because I do worry that one of the things that could happen is that applying to eight schools over the next month or so could really end up meaning eight kind of watered down applications as opposed to say four fantastic applications. So and and you know, keep the recommenders in mind. I mean, there are a lot of moving parts here. And so I would want them to just hone in on where do they really want to go? What, what's the dream? And then know, as you say, that they can go and work at McKinsey or Bain or wherever they're headed as one of the MBBs. And then, you know, apply to any of these schools afterwards as a regular candidate in a worst case. So, yeah, I would cast a, I would only apply to four or five. That would be my advice. And I think they have the numbers to do it and, and don't need to, to apply to eight schools. That, yeah. That's my view. No, completely agree. Um, so hopefully they will catch this episode, hear our advice, and then maybe they can leave a comment on the site and let us know what they're going to do. Because I'll be curious to hear if you know if they do end up narrowing the list. Um, but again, wish them the best of luck, and I want to thank them for for sharing their profile. Uh, Alex, let's move on though and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So our, our last candidate this week, again, from an ApplyWire entry that we received, this candidate has eight schools on the target list, and the schools are Berkeley, Cambridge, Harvard, LBS, MIT, NYU, Stanford, and Wharton. They are an early bird, so they're going to be applying this summer or fall to attend in the fall of 24. They've been working as a project manager, uh, and they want to get into, or stay, I guess, in tech after business school, and they've got a whole bunch of companies on their target list, and they are all the usual suspects. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, IBM, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Tesla, and Uber. Uh, GMAT score is 710. The GPA is a 3.06, although just to provide some context, that GPA was earned at a top school in the Philippines, and the candidate was in the top 20% of their class, which suggests there's probably not a lot of grade inflation. Uh, they've had four years of work experience to date. Uh, again, they're located in the Philippines currently, and they would love to land in the States. They don't really care whether it's East Coast or West, but they would like to be on one of the coasts in the U.S. And they're a dual citizen, I should mention, of the Philippines and Canada, where they've lived. Uh, they lived in both countries at varying points in their life, and they've also lived in Germany. Uh, and they speak a couple languages natively, as well as four others that they've kind of studied a bit. Um, and so, yeah, so lots, lots kind of to, to, to like on the kind of international spectrum of things. Uh, but Alex, I'm going to stop there and ask you to kind of weigh in because they did give us a lot of other information about their background. And I think you had some back and forth even, but what do you make? I mean, I, you know, cause on the surface you say 710, 3.06, does that really fit with the schools that they have on their list? But then, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances or, or more information that help flesh it out so what do you make of this yeah i mean it's difficult isn't it because quite honestly it looks like their work experience is really strong i mean the product product manager in a, at a fintech unicorn again they've got to show growth and impact but uh, on the surface it looks like they, they've got really strong um, um, um professional experience they've obviously got a, a nice sort of in, international profile um, their ECs appear to be um, strong in terms of, um, I think they're a part-time um, um, professor um, and, and they were involved in um, um, part-time university lecturer and, and, and a volunteer at a global consulting NGO that's winning several awards and, and so forth. 
Um, but this sort of profile of 710 3.06, I think that's what it is, um, um, is, is, is going to create a, an immediate sort of reaction, right? Um, obviously, Adcom will then dig a little deeper. So they probably need to, in their optional essay, um, explain that they were top 20% um, in their, their class and so forth to sort of try to mitigate that what appears to be a lower GPA, but obviously lack of um, grade inflation. Um, but, you know, they're applying next season, um, and, you know, the 710 GMAT just gives me a little bit of a headache. I mean, it's not a bad GMAT. I mean, let's let's be honest, there's GMAT score inflation or something just like <laughs> whatever at these top programs. I mean, yeah. there will be people in these top programs that they're targeting with 710s on the GMAT. There's no doubt about that. Um, but if they could bump that score up even just 10, 20 points, that will make a difference. Um, so I really encourage them to, you know, do that retake one more time because um, I think they've, they've tackled it a couple of times and, um, you know, really see if they can't just eke out the extra 10 or 20 points because it will make a difference if they can. Yeah. Um, is it is it um, um, catastrophic if they can't? Perhaps not. Um, you know, they've got a couple of European schools on on their list, which might be a little less um, focused on the GMAT. And you know, I think we've talked about that a little bit before in terms of their average GMAT scores are a little bit lighter. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but you know, their their target list is basically top schools. So. Um, they might want to dip down into the next tier in the U.S. Um, with with their current GMAT, just as just you know to sort of um, ensure that they have some opportunity. Yeah, I think the the two things that strike me here are, you know, like you said, great work experience, interesting career plan that involves ed tech entrepreneurship, and and seems yeah. consistent with their background and and interests. So there's a lot to like, and I also, and you know, just being from the Philippines, like not every day are candidates applying from there, um, and so so they get some points there. But I agree with you that I would I would love that 3.06, but top 20% of my class if the GMAT score were really high, because then I would say, yeah, this person's clearly super sharp, you know, given the test, they do really yeah. well. And that's consistent with saying, oh yeah, look, their GPA seems low, but it's actually top 20% in their class. So I guess, I mean, now they might argue, well, a 710 is probably top 20% on the GMAT and in, in most, <laughs> in most ways of, of counting it. But I do think that given that we're early in the process and that they're not applying until, you know, the fall uh, in theory, that, they should try one more time. And even if that means taking like two months and spending it all, you know, with a tutor or whatever they need to do, like just work that test because it could really change the dynamics, as you say. I mean, if they had a 750 or a 730, suddenly things start to look a little different. Um, whereas right now they're kind of battling two below average stats, right? So I think, you know, that's that's the yep. issue. But otherwise there's a lot to like here. And I would, you know, I would be rooting for this person. And I, I think, yeah, the work experience is great. I will say, since they want to land in the U.S. on the East or West Coast, or that's what they initially stated, then, you know, you kind of say, well, the, the schools like Cambridge and LBS may be less suitable in terms of wanting to go there. But then I know in the comments, you kind of had that dialogue with them and they said, well, they might want to live in the UK and work there too, especially if they think they can get into a, a good MBA program. So I get that. I just, 
I think what's missing, as you said, is schools beyond the group of, I mean, they're really looking at kind of the very top schools in the States, um, you know, all kind of top 10 type programs. And so, yeah, if they could cast a slightly wider net, that might be smart. Um, even regard, regardless of what's going to happen with the GMAT, I think it would be smart to think about, is there another school they might want to add to the list? You know, is that a Cornell? Is it a, um, I don't know, is it a Ross? I'm not sure. Yeah. They would need to do that research, but it would make sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, um, but again, another interesting one. I'm glad that you <laughs> picked this one out. So I want to thank them for their post. And Alex, thank you for finding three candidates to discuss. I know last week we talked about three candidates who were kind of all sort of off the charts, amazing. And this week we've got candidates who are, I think, equally interesting and strong, but with some, you know, kind of weaknesses that they're going to need to overcome in the process. And so, um, you know, with the exception of the middle one, which was kind of a deferred enrollment person, but just interesting to kind of talk through these cases. Yep. Very good. Very good. All right. So we'll do it all next week if you're willing. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Alex. Yeah. Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.